This broadcast has been brought to you by Wesley United Methodist Church. For more information, see our webpage at wesleyumc.com. That's quite a video. Some of the things I'd forgotten about, I was like, oh, yeah. But it's so true, so amazing when we think about our world and then we get to hear this great news that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in the book of Galatians. If uh, this is your first week here, then uh, no worries. You can follow right along with us today. And what I've been doing is just talking about the good news that Paul brought to the people of Galatia and how it still applies to our lives today. And today, Paul speaks to them in a very powerful way, and he says, it's as if God adopts us. Uh, When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to how we experience this rescue mission that God started in the life of Jesus Christ, he says it's like being adopted. Now, um, when I was in seminary, one of the classes I took required us to do what was called a genogram. Any of y'all ever do a, a genogram? Maybe not. Some of y'all have done genealogy work. Any of y'all aware that you have ancestors? Okay. Well, so we, we did the genogram, and what it was was just on paper. You get a pencil, and you begin to draw lines and circles. And if you're a guy, I believe you get a square, and you write your name in the square, and then you draw a line up, and you say, that's my mom and my dad. And then you go on up to the generations ahead of that. And if you have kids, you draw lines below your box or your circle, and you begin to chart out, and you say, this is what my family looks like. And um, it's very powerful because you begin to see and say, well, you know, some of the things that I struggle with are the exact same things that my parents and, in fact, my grandparents struggle with. And many of the hopes and dreams that I have for my kids is that they never have to deal with some of the things that my previous generations had to deal with, you know. And I'll never forget that we did all those things and uh, we got to the point where we were supposed to turn in our genograms to our teacher. And uh, one of my friends who was in class with me, he turned in his paper and it was kind of funny and kind of sad because he drew a square on one piece of paper, he wrote his name into it, and he turned it in. He said, I was an orphan. And I said, well, you cheated. You didn't have to do all the, <laughs> didn't have to do all the work. And he just kind of looked at me like I was mean and crazy. But, you know, things happen. Uh, but I, I was just always amazed by that. I thought, well, this is so, so different, such a, a weird reality uh, that he must have gone through in life. You know, I grew up with my crazy family, and, and uh, he, you know, didn't have that same experience. So uh, today I bring that up to you not to pick on orphans because they're wonderful people loved by God, but because it gives us an idea of what exactly Paul is talking about. And he's, uh, in the passage that we're going to read, he speaks about what God has done for us. But uh, one of the things that you'll see as we work through this is that even if we had great families, there are ways that you and I live out our lives in ways that are more like an orphan than a child of God, right? And what I mean by that is that uh, there are times in our lives where we're trying to prove our value and our worth, where we're trying to show somebody that we belong or that we deserve the chance that we have, or we're desperately trying to make sure that they like us and that they care about us and they, they know our significance. And if you're living in that way, then I would say you're, you're not living in the way that God wants you to. God wants you to know your value and your worth and for you not to live like an orphan. When we look at our world, um, 
it's amazing to me how many times I, I have run across this, that you find people that really struggle with this, that they are constantly trying to show you how important they are, how much they matter, uh, how they desperately long for you to know the great things that they have done, and, and so that you'll like them, or that you'll pay more attention to them, or, or whatever the case might be. And I always think to myself, why are they trying so hard? What's the struggle here? And it's so wonderful to hear the good news that we're going to hear today because one of the easiest things that we can say about God is that God is the God of the fatherless. Have you ever thought about that? That, that beautiful verse in Scripture, God is the God of the fatherless. And when you, you think about that, you, you really begin to look at the Bible in a whole new way because all throughout it, God is constantly seeking out those that are without family, that are lost, that are rejected, that are hurting, that are struggling. From Genesis on, it's a story, if you, if you look at it in that framework, in that context, with those eyes of saying, you know, what does the Bible have to say about adoption and how God claims people? Uh, from early on, you find God speaking to Abraham and saying, you know, even though you are a people who are of no people, you have nobody, you're wandering out there, all alone, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to make covenant with you, and your ancestors are going to be like the sand on the shore. There's going to be so many of them. You go on into Exodus, in Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses, the great hero of the Bible, or one of them, and he is being cast aside by his own mother, and he's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. I'll help you all out today. <laughs> go home and watch the Ten Commandments, and Give Chuck Heston his due. Um, but we, we find that, that to be the case. Um, there's many other examples that we find in the Bible of God reaching out and claiming people. But over and over again, he's the God who is the God of the fatherless. He, he invites them into, their pre, into his presence. He, he loves on them. He cares about them and redeems them and restores them in powerful ways. I mean, one of the most powerful stories in the New Testament is the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a kid who takes his inheritance, goes and squanders it. And what's the, the triumphant moment of it all? That, that he turns back and he says, you know, I had it far better in my father's house than I ever would out here. And while he's a long way off, the father begins to rejoice and celebrate and kills the fatted calf. And it's a powerful, powerful story. And all the way into the book of James, we find the, the story of adoption. Uh, one of the most powerful verses is James 1:27, where God says, pure religion is the care for widows and orphans and to keep our hearts pure from the world. And so when you talk about God in our, our world today, when you're sharing your faith or when you're trying to explain the greatness of God, just, just naming that, saying God is the God of the fatherless, that could be powerful to the people that you're talking to and gives them a handle on what God is all about and why God cares about them so much. And I think we need to pay closer attention to this teaching on adoption and, and why it's so important because you know, you look at the world that we're a part of, and there are so many problems in the world that we saw in the video, and so many of them come down to people not knowing who they belong to or, or who they are. I think things like racism and, and oppression all have their sources in, in people not knowing how valuable or how important they are, and so they, they base their groups and their identity on the color of their skin or their places of power. And, and instead, all along the way, God is saying, you are, you are mine, you are my child, and you belong to me. 
If you have your Bibles, I want to read for you this passage from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And this is Paul writing to an early church, and he says, But when the fulfillment of the time came, God sent his son, born through a woman and born under the law. And right before this, Paul is talking about how before Jesus came into the world, the world was orphaned, uh, that it was destitute, it was broken, it was in slavery to sin and death. It was not able to save itself on its own, but it says what? It says, at the very right time, in the fulfillment of time, uh, God sent his son, born through a woman, and born under the law. Right? God sent his son, born through a woman, and born under the law. And just in that passage, you begin to see how this adoption process happened. That not only is this God's son, but it's also a, a son born of a woman, born of Mary. That who better could save us, who could redeem us, than one who is both fully human and both fully divine? Who could work out that process of adoption? Who can mediate between you and I and God, other than this one who is both born of the Spirit, born of God, and born of a woman? There's nobody else that could do that the way that Jesus Christ can. And when we read this passage, we're saying that God does this at the perfect time, at the perfect moment, in order to bring people to God to heal them and to redeem them. It says, uh, this was so that he could redeem those under the law so that we could be adopted. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And it's such a powerful passage. You know, he's saying, uh, when Paul writes and he says, when you get it, when you grasp it, when you understand it, you know, you're able to, to cry out to God, and God hears our prayers. God understands our need for salvation. God hears and knows our voice and knows exactly what we sound like, and that's the relationship that Paul's describing here. And a little bit of uh, trivia for you. Uh, there are times, uh, there's, a, there's an author named uh, Tony Morris, and he was somebody that gave a great deal of testimony about the power of adoption and why it matters so much. And he, he relates the story of going to one orphanage, and what he noticed was how quiet he was, how quiet the orphanage was. And he says, usually when you're around little kids, um, you hear them cry, right? If you get a group of kids together, things may go for a while, for a while but when it comes to nap time or they get hungry, what happens? They begin to cry. They get upset. And he said, but at this orphanage, he said, there was no crying. And he asked one of the workers what the deal was, and he says, well, unfortunately, the reality is that these kids, there's so many, there's so many of them, and there's so few workers that they could cry for hours, and nobody would be able to get to them. And when you think about what God has offered us, he's saying, I hear you. I hear your concerns. I hear your prayers. I hear what you're calling out to me in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. I hear that, and that when we grasp it, when we get it, when we receive what God is offering into our lives, Paul is writing to us, and he's saying, that is what it's like. We call out, we say, Abba, Father, and we know that he hears our cries. He knows that he hears our prayers. And he goes on, he says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter, and if you are his child, then you also are an heir through God. So... And that is what Paul writes this day, and he, he shares with us this beautiful account of what salvation looks like, that you know, whenever we are looking at our lives and we're asking the questions of, does, does my life matter? Does it have any significance? 
when we're looking at our own lives and saying, well, what about the future? Am I going to endure the next trial, the next problem that faces? Am I going to survive the next thing that comes my way? And Paul would say, if you would just receive what God is offering, if you would just accept that He wants to claim you and invite you to be part of His family and to live that out, then many of these worries and these struggles and these concerns would fade away. So what about you? Do you know that you are a son or a daughter of God? Is that part of of your identity and what you believe to be true about you? When I think about um, that identity or that issue, I I remember one time when I was at my grandmother's funeral, and uh, they were over in Jasper, Alabama, but my family and I, we went over there, and we visited with my family, and we went to the funeral, and there was this little lady that came up that I had never, as far as I knew, I'd never met, and she came up on a walker down the hall. She made her way down the hall, got to the room, and she stood there right in front of me, and she looked at me, and she knew who I was. She said, you must be Ricky Ivy." I went by Ricky, don't ever call me that, right? So she said, you must be Ricky Ivy." And I said, yes, I am. She said, you look just like your dad. I said, I've heard that all my life. You look just like your uncles. And then she poked me in the tummy as if to say that was the identifying arc, mark of Ivy family. She's like, I know who you are. You look just like them. And what uh, Paul encourages us to do in in Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, is right there on the screen, says, therefore imitate God like dearly loved children. That part of our identity, part of who we are called to be is to live like we are dearly loved children. You know, part of my role in life is to live out what it meant to be an ivy, to be part of that family. And our new identity in Christ is that we live like we are dearly loved children of God. Are you doing that? I think that would make such a huge difference in people's lives if they would, if they would live that out. So oftentimes people get caught up in questions about their worth and about who they are. Uh, So oftentimes growing up when people are struggling, when they're hurting, uh, they try so hard to fit in, they try so hard to be valuable, they try so hard to prove how, how, how worthy they are of other people's affection that they'll do just about anything, right? Go to any length. And what does God say to us? He says, you don't have to do any of that. You are mine. You belong to me. Find your identity in me and what I have done for you. Find your value there. Don't go looking for it in the relationships in your life. Don't go looking for it in your checkbook or anything like that. Go go find out who you are by getting to know who God is. And what's the greatest gift of being adopted by God? We get God. I mean, isn't that powerful to think about? We get to know who God is and what God desires for our lives and and what God dreams and and hopes for each of us. The other thing that I think is so important when we look through this passage about what does it mean for us to know that we are children of God, that we have been adopted, and that we can cry out and God hears us. Well, maybe you're facing a big decision. Maybe you are struggling with something that's coming along in your calendar, and you're wondering exactly how you're going to get through it. And maybe it's something that you've done a hundred times, but now you're kind of thinking, I don't know if I can, can make it happen next time around. 
Or maybe you're having trouble in your marriage or your workplace or, or whatever it is that's causing you to lose sleep at night and, and worry about so continually and to be fearful about it. I mean, I don't know uh, where you are in life, but my life has gone through some big changes last month or so. Moving here, and uh, I'll just be honest with you. When I, when I heard that I was moving here, when I heard I was moving to Beaumont, I had all kinds of questions, all kinds of weird fears, like, you know, will they like me, right? What if they have a particular way of preaching and, and I don't meet up with that, you know? What if we get there? I mean, I left a great church and a good community and, and we're here, and what if they turn on me, right? You know? What if they don't have good kolaches? What do we do? And so, over and over again, you know, in my morning prayers and walking and talking with God, one of the greatest blessings He gave me was just to remind me and say, you still belong to me. You're still mine. No matter who it is that you preach to, no matter who it is you lead, you still belong to me. And I'm far greater than you ever will be, Rick. So trust in me, and it makes such a huge difference. The other thing when we think about our future and who we are as, as God's children that I just want to point out to you that I think is so important is that it should give you great hope. Knowing that you're a child of God should, should give you great hope for your future. And I think that's a valuable and precious commodity in the world that we live in today, right? To have hope about what the future will be. And Paul writes in there and he says, realize that you are part of a great inheritance. You're going to receive something great in the future, that it's promised, that God has said it will happen, and that it's yours. One of the toughest times uh, that I remember with my, my father was that uh, he was a geologist that uh, became unemployed in the uh, mid to late 80s because the oil market had, had gone south. And he... Uh, did a proactive thing. He went and got his license to become a stockbroker. Uh, but you know what happened right after he got his license to become a stockbroker? The market crashed, right? And so he was unemployed for a number of years despite his best efforts, despite uh, doing everything that he could to find a job. And um, I remember very clearly that even though as a geologist he had made a good salary and he had lived a good lifestyle, after several years, that had all dwindled away to the point where we were having to borrow money from family to make ends meet. And so what had happened, I still remember this, is that we had really nice furniture from his previous job inside a rent house that nobody would want. And things were beginning to fade and to rub thin. And one evening we were watching TV on the big TV set that we had that we could afford back when my dad had a great job. And all of a sudden the TV went out and smoke came out from the back. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we both realized we didn't have any money to repair the TV or to get a new one. And my dad, in a very funny yet sad way, looked at me and he said, one day, son, all this will be yours. <laughs> and when I think about that story and the world that we're a part of, I remember the fact that Things got better for my dad pretty soon after that. He got a job that helped him get to a place of retiring comfortably. And, 
And the reality is that it just speaks to the reality that we are a people who have been promised a fantastic inheritance, that we have been given the hope and the promise of salvation, of life that is eternal, that no matter what it is that we are facing right now, no matter how bad we're struggling, that God has spoken to us and said that we are heirs to the kingdom of God, that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, that we will be part of the new heavens and the new earth, and that we will live with Him forever and ever. We will worship Him. We will give thanks because all of it, all the hurts, all the tears, all the things will be redeemed because that's how much God loves us and how great our Father in heaven is. So I invite you to consider that today. And and one last thing I just want to speak to you about is that on August the 12th, we're having that day of blessing. And I want us to use it as a day in which we as a church tell our community how important they are to God. In the past, y'all have done blessing of the backpacks, but we're adding on to that. We're improving that. We're going to pray for the teachers. And, and one of the things that I want you to do is going to be very simple for you. Did you know that one of the easiest ways to help people that are in poverty is to make sure that their children, their kids, the ones that they love, are able to read at grade level by third grade? When you think about fixing poverty, did you ever put that together? Now we usually just try and throw money at it, right? But you could actually help these people by helping their kids learn how to read. And Sherry Pierce will be happy to tell you about how to go into schools and read with kids. But on August 12th, what I want you to do is to bring a children's book that you like and that you'd be willing to donate to the church so that we can distribute that as needed. Any of y'all have a favorite kid's book, children's book? Hands down, my favorite one is The Hungry Caterpillar. What about the rest of y'all? Tops and bottoms? You probably got your favorite. So if you have a, you can bring a new or gently used book that day, bring it up here so we can put it in the hands of the kid and say, this is how much God loves you, or just a small taste of how much God loves you. You matter to God. You matter to us. And what a joy that will be. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know the parts in our lives uh, that we are still acting like we're orphans, the way that we're fighting for our salvation or that we're trying to show you how, how worthy we are and that we don't understand what's going on in our lives. So we pray that by your Spirit this day, you would speak into our lives. Remind us that you know us each by name, that our names are written on your hand, that you know every tear that we have cried. You know our sighs and our longings, and that you long to be closer to us, to give us the hope that we need. And all these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast. This has been brought to you by Wesley United Methodist Church. For more information, see our webpage at wesleyumc.com.